Hello and welcome to the Running Anthropologist podcast. Here with Mark Lane Holbert and my lovely wife and co-producer Megan Lane Holbert, sending out wishes for a very special Mother's Day. This one's dedicated to all mothers out there, but especially my mom, who was a wonderful coach to me, encourager, and gave me unconditional love and support growing up. She was also an incredible runner in the state of Michigan, starting out running early on and in the 70s, going into coaching, coaching several state championship teams, and was a role model for many. I'm sure that we all have coaches out there that have carried us through and that have supported us, whether that be a friend or an official coach on a team. And I'm sure that all of our moms supported us in many ways as athletes, but in particular, mine was a constant, unconditional love, support, and encouragement. Toted me all over the state of Michigan and beyond to races growing up. And through that, I learned so much about others and the world around me. So I'm eternally grateful to her and for her. As we start out today's episode, Deb Voiles is joining us. And this is apropos because she actually started running as a mother for the first time, just after she had her first child. And she's carried that through into supporting and coaching and guiding others as the coach for Run Tampa, organizing one of the biggest running communities in Florida, as well as having a new race documentary, running documentary, on the human race, which is, among many things, with Catherine Switzer, who is the first woman runner in the Boston Marathon, a lot of history there, as well as talking about the benefits of running and how it can help us with resilience, helping us benefit into our old age from community, having fun, and connecting with others. So without further ado, let's get started. So with that, Deb Voiles, welcome to the podcast. We're really excited to have you. Thanks thanks so much for your time and joining us. I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, we've, um, we've only met and talked a few times, but I, I know a lot about your work through Run Tampa. Um, definitely, you know, I would guess one of the biggest running clubs in the U.S. outside of those, you know, like the Boston and the New York Roadrunners. Those are age old, but uh, I, I know it's been a lot of work to put it together. Um, maybe you could just start out by telling us uh, a little bit about your story and how you, you know, how you came to start this, this great running club and, and get so much involvement in it. Well, it was almost like it was basically an accident. <laughs> when uh, around 2007, 2008, I was noticing that there was no good running calendar online for Tampa. And I just, I knew, you know, most people, even back then, if you wanted to find out something, if you had any question, you could type it in to Google and you could get an answer in 10 or 20 seconds. And, but you couldn't do that with local races. You couldn't put the name of a race in and find it that easily. Uh, or you couldn't, if you put in Tampa running, you wouldn't find anything. So I started a, cal- a, a website with a race calendar. And then at the same time, I was doing trail running a lot. And it was hard to find people to trail run with because, Uh, I wanted a group to run with, but I found that there weren't as many trail runners as there might be because people didn't want to run trails if they didn't know the route and if they didn't have other people to run with. So I just started organizing weekend runs. And at about the same time, I also became uh, an RRCA certified coach. And I had already coached four years of high school swimming locally and was uh, was an ex-teacher. So I had all these things going together, 
and the group runs just kept growing every week. I can remember when I was thrilled if I had you know, 12, and, uh, uh, or maybe I was, wasn't thrilled till I had 20, but anyway, we've had 50 <laughs> now, and, uh, and the club has 484 people. So it's, yeah, it has really tremendously grown. Our Facebook group has 5,300. So, but that's really the way it got started. It, it wasn't, I didn't really plan to even start coaching when I became certified. I just wanted to know, uh, wanted to learn more about how to train myself. And then, uh, and then it just kept growing. And then people, we wanted to plan destination races. So I thought, well, I need to know more about these people than just their first name. <laughs> and really, that's all I knew about some of the people running with us. So I organized a club. And we started planning destination races. We've been to, uh, you know, we've done Marine Corps, San Francisco, um, the Maine Marathon, Grandma's Marathon, Jacksonville Marathon, Napa to Sonoma Half, uh, Big Cottonwood. Um, just, you know, we've probably done 20 by now. We did uh, um, the Run to Remember in Boston, Chicago. So that's a big, big thing. We're going actually to do a, the Niagara Ultra together in about 45 of us in um, in June. But anyway, that's basically how I got started. And then people wanted coaching and I started coaching. And I also about the same time wrote a book after your first 5K. Yes. And then I thought, I thought, hmm, I need to market this to more than just the local audience. So then I did two things. I started uh, a podcast and I started uh, the Mojo for Women website. So yeah. then... And at the time, I never dreamed the podcast would be as successful as it has been. I was just, I was listening to podcasts back then. So I thought, well, I'm going to start my own. And uh, it's just been great. Everything is, there's so many different facets of my running business uh, and career, but they've all been just growing now for about a dozen years. As as is demonstrated by good uh by good returns. Uh, I know the Mojo Running is just kind of a general podcast, but there's also a separate one, am I right, for beginners to kind of get some coaching and some ideas for beginning runners. Can, can you share yes. that one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, most of, for, for about five or six years, I just had the Mojo for Running, and it was, yeah, it was, it was basically aimed at everybody, and every episode focuses on a different running topic. But I realized there were so many people who, I felt like the beginner runners, people that really had not run even a mile yet, were in a whole different category and that they needed help more than anybody else. Plus, at that time, there were no podcasts that were focusing on that segment. Hmm. So I started Beginner Runner Village, and uh, that's been very successful, although I haven't been, I haven't done any more episodes in the last, it's probably been two years, but they are evergreen. Sure, so, sure. Yeah, so and I still get a lot of people coming into my online coaching program. Most of them actually come from the Beginner Runner Village podcast because that's uh, I, my online program is really more for people either running their first 5K or their first 10K or their first half marathon. But cool. it, the, the lion's share are people that want to work up to their first 5K. Yeah, one of my favorite titles uh, that you shared with me is the the Half Magic because I, I think that the, the half marathon is a challenging and exciting distance for most runners. Um, and it doesn't, you know, the training doesn't quite rare, wear down your body as a marathon training would. And you can run, you know, 
pretty much a person can run a half very often throughout the year. Every couple of weeks, you could be in another competitive half and not have any problems. Um, and I, I, I've heard you say many times, half is kind of a demeaning word because 13.1 is magic by itself. Yes, I agree. You know, it's a shame for somebody to train and train and train and finally do their first half and they're on top of the world. They feel like they've done something incredible, which they have. But yes, it's called a half. And half always indicates part of a whole. And I don't think, I hate for anybody to feel like if they haven't done a whole marathon, that's not good enough. Sure. Because uh, to me, it absolutely is. You know, I... I think it's such a big deal to do a full, but I think uh, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. A, a full kind of, you have to pretty much be obsessive about your training. You, you need to be to do a full because it's such a, a your body's such a delicate thing and it, the training has to be on point in order to excel, but also in order to avoid injury. Well, and I, but with the half, you can you can be in shape for half all year long. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And I, I feel like uh, that's so, tr I mean, throughout your career, you have over 40, 40 years of running and you've run a lot of marathons and many, many 13.1s and coming up in ultra. Um, throughout all of that, uh, one of your messages has been that, you know, we need to be sustainable in our running so that we can enjoy it and continue on doing it as long as, as long as possible. And to that end, you recently created a documentary, actually, called The Human Race. And I, I, it was really cool for me to, to see that and to hear the stories of all these runners who have made running a way of life and are still enjoying it and still take great joy from it, you know, from young to old, um, uh, young to experienced, even better. Um, can you tell us, I mean, I'd love to hear more about how that came about and what the process was like in making a running documentary. Well, I never even dreamed I would be involved in anything like that, although my uh, bachelor's degree is in uh, journalism. Oh. So uh -huh. that, that kind of dovetailed well, but I had no experience, obviously, in videography. But I just was introduced by a, a mutual friend to Elizabeth Vassy. Uh, she goes by Liz Vassy, who uh, grew up here in Tampa, but she is actually an, an actor in Hollywood. Oh, and, uh, huh. Most people probably know her from CSI. She was on. Uh, she played the lab rat on CSI for five years in the original, uh, the first CSI. Okay. And then we hooked up right after she left that series. She's a marathon. She she she's a runner. She's a marathoner now. She wasn't then, but she was really intrigued by the idea. Running meant so much to her, and it just even though then she was uh, I think in her thirties. Uh, she was concerned about the thought of, oh, my gosh, what if I ever have to stop? Hmm. When will I have to stop? Sure. So uh, she came up with the idea of doing uh, a documentary film about runners over 50. Okay. Uh, originally, it was going to be marathon runners over 50, then it just became runners over 50. And it was interesting, the very day that we first talked on the phone, I had done a, a blog post about uh, older runners, and I had referenced Dr. James Fries, who is a professor emeritus at Stanford University, and he was a studied, uh, he was in gerontology his whole career, and he had done a study of uh, 500 marathon runners from the age of 50 to 70. Mm -hmm. And his, his 
premise was that their, their niece would probably get called apart, but he wanted to, to document exactly what happened. And he was extremely surprised to discover that the opposite happened. They had fewer than half the knee replacements of the control group. Interesting. Other, yeah, it was remarkable. And uh, they did. They were much healthier after 20 years. That, in every way, that's, every question they ask them. That's what we always hear, right? Oh, don't don't run long distances because it's going to ruin your knees. You won't be able to do anything when you get old. But really, um, you see that people that continue running, uh, on the other hand, have better um, better resiliency and better fitness into their older age. Yeah, the more we researched it, the more we discovered the benefits, how extreme they were. Hmm. I, you know, I like you said, I've been running forty. 42 years and uh you know when people tell me oh it's bad for your knees i just point to my knees and say my knees are fine i've I've run three ultras and and 18 marathons and well 18 marathons includes the ultras but um my knees are fine i mean they don't hurt they don't swell they don't ache even after a marathon nothing hurts i even have no acl in my left knee because of skiing it still doesn't bother me so uh, the key, the message is never stop, never stop. And the other message is people can start when they're in their 40s or 50s or 60s. Uh, in the documentary film, it features six of my runners. One of them is 81. One of them is uh, just about to turn 71. Uh, and uh, and several of the others are in their, well, the rest are in their 40s, 60s. And, uh, you know, they're just amazing. They're always on the go. And uh, their biggest problem is when they do get a running injury, which everybody does of every age, that's what makes them miserable when they Mm. have to back off of their physical activity. Sure. And there's all sorts of tools and resources for cross-training and and healing and uh, being patient with yourself. Uh, I I think that's important, too, uh, especially for younger runners to realize, yeah, we're we're going to have injuries uh, as we continue running. And eventually, all younger runners become older runners, and uh, that—that's that rea- right. That reality, uh, you know, if you love running, will will come to pass. And just seeing these, um, I would say, mentors, you know, in the running world, continuing and being vibrant and being joyful um, in the human race. That documentary was really kind of cool. Um, by the way, for those listening, I, I saw just last night, it was like 99 cents to rent on, uh, on iTunes. Um, there's various platforms that I'm sure you can get it at, but that was the one I, I, I searched on. Um, and, you know, continuing on with that, Deb, what, what would you give in terms of advice for people that um, want to have sustainable running, um, want to get more joy from it, and want to share in the joy of others in running? I think the most important thing is to be reasonable and listen to your body. Hmm. Um, one of the one problem in running is that a lot of times the people that gravitate towards it have type A personalities, and those people are hard to coach. And they, I, in my opinion, they get injured actually more often because when they have an injury, they push to get back soon. Uh, and one of the things I say in the documentary is. Uh, no pain, no gain is the worst mantra anybody could live by. I oh, make man. a point in the documentary of saying, you know, oh, you feel bad? Okay, go home, come back tomorrow. Because that, and I liken that like to when I was an English teacher, and I would tell the kids, I'm not teaching this, whatever top it is, so that you'll know next week or next month. 
or even next summer. If you don't know it, you know, five years from now when you go to college or t 10 years from now, then what's the point? And I feel the same way about running. Uh, we need to not look at next week or next month, but next year and 10 years from now. I want everybody that I get started running on, everybody that I work with, to be running and having my fantastic lifestyle when they're 65. Hmm. I mean, I, honestly, I feel like I'm 30, and I'm probably way more active than 95% of the people that are 25. So it's, it's amazing that you can have that. When I'm with my friends that are my age, if anybody saw us and watched us, they would, if, if I'm sure we look our age or, well, maybe close to it, but if you just could hear the conversations and see the things we were doing, you would think we were certainly half our age. Uh -huh. And it's because running makes us feel that way. And it, it, it's been proven. It's not just physical, it's mental. So I, the, my biggest uh, piece of advice is just take it easy and see the big picture don't hurt yourself. People can push themselves. Uh, sometimes they push, try to push through injury, and they can hurt themselves so much worse and maybe make it so that they can't return to running rather than, you know, if you have an ache or pain or some problem, it is never a bad idea to take a few days off. Hmm. That, you know, doesn't require a doctor. You know, you can, you're not going to hurt yourself by resting a few days. That will never happen. And sometimes that's all it takes. But people try to keep running, and then all of a sudden, it's a stress fracture you know, hmm. before they even go to the doctor. And I just, it, I hate to see that happen. I just want everybody to be reasonable in what they do. Yeah, and one, one thing that I think you pointed out before is running solo, so kind of doing pushing yourself on your own, can sometimes cause that because you're not, um, you're not there with others talking to them, um, you know, sharing what's wrong or sharing... Uh, what struggles you're going through, and that that can really be uh, be a key factor in a lot of people's recovery, and just in general, a lot of people getting more out of running because uh, they have someone to talk to, to bounce ideas off, and to share in that to share in that journey. Well, just the, the camaraderie is just incredible in the running community. It's just you can show up for a group run and you end up running with somebody for if it's a newer runner, it might just be thirty minutes. If you're an experienced runner, you might run with someone you never met before for two hours. Hmm. Well by the time you get back to trailhead, you're great friends. <laughs> you know, it's as if you've been friends for years. And uh, you know, running is like uh, you know, those long runs with friends are like like therapy, like a therapy group. It helps people with whatever's going on in their lives, and you get wrapped up in that, and you just enjoy a long, extremely relaxing run. And those are, yeah, they're so critical to good health, mental health and physical health, because, that, yeah, and, and that's, I think you sort of alluded to this, that most, many people run too hard too much. As a coach, I can tell you that's one of the main things that causes people to plateau or to digress in their running um, because they they push too hard. They think, you know, in life, I've said this so many times in life, we always learn our parents teach us the harder you work, the faster you'll achieve your goals. And people transfer that into running and they try to run as hard as they can every time they get out. Hmm. And that just is not the right way. People do need to, if they want to be fast, yes, absolutely. They need to run fast some, but the running fast should be about 20%. And the other 80% should be just enjoying the run. Whatever pace is really comfortable, that's the right pace. And I've, I've, I've worked with many people. There was just one guy, Edwin, years ago. He was stationed at McDill 
he wanted to go to airborne training. He was really worried because he had to run two miles in, I think it was like 16 minutes. And he was 30 years old. To look at him, he was the picture of health. And yet he said, I've been training really hard, seven days a week, and I can't get there. And I said, well, what are you doing? He says, I, I, I'm at the track almost every day. I do this. So basically he was running as hard as he could every day. Yeah. And it was the easiest thing in the world. I talked to him for like 15 minutes about how to change his training. And within two weeks, he, he achieved his goal. That's he amazing. It was just a conversation is all you needed. He, was, he had no guidance as far as how to train. I, I like that analogy in terms of running therapy because I, I think many of us, we kind of realize, oh, somehow the miles go quicker and I, I feel better afterwards when I do them with a group. But then, you know, we kind of get into our own schedule and we want to do it the way we want to do it. And I think that that give and take of being willing to sacrifice some of the, uh, you know, doing things on your own terms at your own pace, maybe, um, you know, is better sometimes when you get an opportunity to do a group run to make sure to take advantage of that. Oh, I agree. I think in the long run, people that get, get involved with a group will keep running We'll run more often, we'll run more miles, and we'll run for more years. Hmm. I mean, I, I've got people running with me who, uh, they run with me today, and they were at my very first group run, which I think was in 2009, maybe 2008. That's amazing. And, and I, I know we'll be friends for years, you know. And uh, so people don't know what they're getting into a lot of times when they come to a group run uh, in a good way, because it's, uh, it's like a big family. Sure. One of the quotes that I read on, on your bio or your website, I can't remember which, is that running should always enhance your life. Um, be flexible and it will continue to, to, uh, to reveal itself and continue to improve your life. Um, I, I, I like that. So the key there is be flexible, right? Be, be willing to make some changes, be willing to accept you know, setbacks or slower running periods. And then, you know, it, it'll work for you. And and that over the years, what you need from running will change. Hmm. You know, a, a young mother, a young father with a crazy schedule, sometimes they just need to stay physically fit. They, they can't worry about uh, racing. They have too much going on in their life. Their kids are taking a lot of their time. But if they can get in a few runs a week. When I was a teen teaching high school for years, sometimes I was just tied in a knot when I came home if I had a, a bad day, but I would go out and run five miles, and when I come home, I was mellow. It was, it was For me, it was like I'd taken a yoga class. All the stress was gone. So I think over the years, and I almost never ran in haste then, I would do that was about it because I was preoccupied with raising my two kids and with, with uh, teaching. Debbie, could you could you repeat that? You would do two or three run, runs a week, you said? Yeah, well, usually probably, I would say more like three or four, but they were shorter runs, and I was just maintaining my, my level of fitness then, and uh, because my focus was my, my kids, and, uh, you know, if I wasn't teaching, uh, it was the kids, but I did absolutely always believe in staying fit, and, uh, and that helped me because I could do anything with my kids, you know? Sure. Uh, and now today, my daughter is, I'm running with my daughter tonight. She's 42, and she's my favorite running partner. Well, that's great. I, I have a four-month-old. I hope that uh, I hope that she's out there 
running with me as well in about 20 years uh, uh, or, you know, maybe sooner, hopefully uh, much sooner. But uh, we, we have um, one of our goals in this podcast is to explore running culture. And I think that we've done that a, a lot today already. Maybe you could share with me if, if you could kind of reflect on this. If there are any of those runs or destination runs that you've done that have been particularly revealing about the local culture, where you've learned a lot um, about that place um, and the people that are there through the experience of, of the destination run, um, you know, before, after, during, and, uh, you know, that you would highly recommend to, to other runners that would like to explore a little bit. I think the the mo the one that's the most striking to me, um, even uh, the one that's the most striking, I would say definitely would be Boston as far as the culture. Hmm. You know, there there isn't all that much, and and also a lot of times when we do a destination race, we're only there for three days, and mm -hmm. I'm spending most of my time with my runners, so it's it's hard to pick up on enough of a culture when you're there that quickly. And all the cities we've been to have been in the United States. Mm -hmm. But um, this time, actually, we'll be in Canada uh, this summer, so that'll be kind of fun. Although we'll be right across the river. In that city is proud of the Boston Marathon. All of them buy into it. You know, even people who don't run are proud to be a part of Boston. And I think the Boston Bombings actually made that even uh, more important. You know, hmm. it means so much to them. You see signs everywhere that say Boston Strong, and everybody believes it. Everybody takes pride in that, and you feel it when you're there. And I and I love that walking around there, uh, Boston Race Weekend, everybody wears their Boston Marathon jacket. It's when you go to the expo and you buy your jacket, you wear it the rest of the weekend. And, of course, that means you have to finish the race because, you know, if you're wearing the jacket, you better finish the race. <laughs> But it's interesting that nobody buys uh, Boston uh, shirts, uh, although anybody could, but people don't buy the Boston Marathon shirt unless, of course, they do the race. Sure. Except for I bought one for my mom. She's 90. Nobody's going to think she did the race. <laughs> she'll, she'll be okay with that. She's wearing that now. But um, you walk around and you see people wearing their Boston jackets from all the prior years. I, I saw somebody with a jacket that was 30 years old. You know, because they're all dated. They have the date embroidered on them. And you see the pride. And you, you're running uh, on the race course, and you see people clapping on the sidelines, and they're wearing Boston Marathon jackets. Culture around even this, the towns that you run through, Natick and, and uh, Hopkinton and Framing, Framing. I always get from so Framingham or Farmingham. Anyway, those all mean so much to you. The girls at Wellesley. Um it's just, it's a, it's a storied race course itself. Uh, you know, Heartbreak Hill. There's so much that you hear as a runner for, for years, and then you go there and you soak it up. Um, I, I thought recently I would like to take my uh, running club up there um, and stay somewhere about halfway in the race course, like halfway between uh, Hopkinton and Boston, and then take them out and run six miles of the race course uh, four days in a row hmm. so they can experience the whole thing. It would be to just be a fun, like running retreat that we can do. Oh, we did something similar to that a year, uh, a year ago, we went to Boston and did the Boston run to remember, which is a half marathon. Okay. It, it does not use the Boston marathon course, but while we were there, we went out to the Boston marathon course and, uh, started 
uh, one mile from the end of the Boston Marathon course and ran in and then took pictures of the finish line so that all those people who are likely will never get to run it will get to experience just that little bit of it, which was wonderful. Sure. Yeah. For most amateur runners, it's one of those once in a lifetime things. Um, I, I have, we have learned a lot and heard a lot about it. And, uh, thank you for sharing that with us. I know this was your first, uh, this past year, first time qualifying and, and running, uh, as, as a, as a runner, um, through the, through the course. Well, I did it once before in 2008, uh, which was kind of weird because I had done my first marathon in December at Jacksonville. And then I was offered, uh, a charity bib three weeks before the race. Oh, wow. Okay. So I did it. But of course, the whole time on the race course, I, my heart was just thinking, I'm going to qualify. I'm going to qualify. I want to be one of the ones that qualified. For this race. There was no way I was going to not do it, but I was injured at the time. I had shin splints and I wasn't training for a marathon, <laughs> but it was three weeks out. And I said, oh, of course I want it. Sure. But even also because I'd only done one marathon, I couldn't even appreciate Right. Well, yeah, you don't appreciate it quite as much because it feels like um, a culmination experience, right? Right, right. Um, Debbie, I, uh, I think we've kind of reached, uh, I know we said we'd keep it about a half hour here. Um, I just wanted to, uh, before we go, I, I just wanted to point everyone towards uh, Mojo Running. I, I know that you can find it on iTunes, is that correct? It's Mojo for Running. Mo- uh, okay. Which is important because there is a but it's Mojo for Running. It's on uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, and basically any podcast app: Google Play, Stitcher. It's on most of the big ones, and uh, anybody that has an iPhone, of course, can can listen right on their phone with the iTunes app. But yeah, it's pretty much all over. And also, it's of course on my website, so you can always click there to listen to it. And okay. then I have a Patreon page as well. Great. And I, I will post those links as well in our show notes and on our Facebook page. If, if listeners would like to like to find those, I, I would highly recommend them. There's almost, uh, gosh, there's several hundred episodes on, you can surf through the topics. And um, as a coach, I think you're, you know, you're just very insightful into each of those topics and go in depth and help people to really conceptualize things like recovery and race challenges and you know different lengths and group runs uh, a lot of a lot of those topics we briefly touched on but you know to go more in depth and um deb uh, does a traditional podcast so she just talks about the the topic and usually doesn't have guests but nonetheless are you know very insightful just from your own perspective so i i look forward to listening to more and i hope i hope that others do as well thank you you're welcome. And I, I look forward to seeing you at our next group run or race. And uh, thanks for thanks again for being a, being a guest on our a featured guest on our podcast. I enjoyed it. Thank thanks, you, Deb. And thanks to all of you for joining us for this very special Mother's Day edition going into the spring here with Running Anthropologist. We hope that you'll join us in future weeks and also online with at Running Anthropologist on Facebook. Leave us a message. If you know of any unique cultural runs or you've been someplace worth sharing yourself, we'd love to hear from you. And in coming weeks, we have a wonderful lineup. We have an edition on faith in running, as well as running stories with running icons. But right away, in next week, we have Running the Border. 
with a Canadian-U.S. immigration attorney and his experience running along the Canadian-U.S. border where he lives, as well as his recent trip to the U.S. southern border with Mexico, hearing what it's like, exploring the geography, and, most of all, exploring the culture of running. Thanks again for being with us. Until next time, happy running.